Hello, and welcome into the second edition of the Fall Baseball Preview. This is the 60 Feet 6 Inches LSU Baseball Podcast. Thank you for joining me. This is Chris Demui for those that are new. Just joining the podcast, just found out about it, hearing it for the first time. So this is a review of the second weekend of the LSU baseball team in the fall, and this will be available in podcast form only and can be found on Apple, Google, Spotify, and other major audio platforms. I will also have a link to this pod on my Twitter account. The Twitter account is at 60FT6INLSUPOD. Those are the numbers. 60, not spelled out, so it is at 60FT6INLSUPOD. Follow me on Twitter. Please make sure to like, follow, subscribe, comment. I also have a YouTube page that goes by the same name. Retweet anything you deem necessary. And a big shout out to all the new followers I gained uh, this past weekend while I was interacting with a lot of people during the scrimmages on Thursday and Friday for the LSU baseball team. It is very much appreciated. I do this for fun and uh, have a lot of fun interacting uh, and commenting on stuff y'all send me. So. This episode, number two, we'll go over the Thursday and Friday scrimmages from this past weekend. Unfortunately, I could not be there for the Saturday and Sunday scrimmages. And as a reminder, this is just a big picture view on the team as of now, how I see it. Obviously, a lot of time left in the fall. We have all spring practice to go before they get going in uh, mid-February. So just some of the performances that stood out, some of the players, some of the new guys uh, and returners as well. And at the very end, I'm going to have three takeaways from these two days that I viewed as kind of the overarching themes for Thursday and Friday, and then a little recap that I gained from Twitter on Saturday and Sunday. So let's get into it. On Thursday, basically what we learned is, um, so every every game, it looks like they're going to work on fundamentals. I mentioned this last time. If you didn't have a chance to go check it out, there's a fall preview edition um, number one. So for Thursday and Friday, when I was there, the fundamentals that they worked on. So at the beginning of every inning, they either had a man on first and second, and the batter had two chances to sacrifice them over. If the pitcher threw balls or they fouled them off, they just took the, the, the batter out the box and started the inning for real, removed the base runners. They also had an opportunity, if it wasn't a sacrifice bunt, there was a man on first and it was a hit and run opportunity. Once again, they got two pitches. If they fouled it off, missed it, executed it, that was all, that was all they did and then uh, removed the base runner and went on with the regular inning. So I like this. Obviously, Coach Johnson is putting emphasis on certain fundamentals. I think this is great. But the best thing is they get a couple opportunities. They don't drive the pitcher's pitch count up. If they can't execute or the pitchers don't throw strikes, then they just said, all right, we're done with it. It didn't happen this time. Let's just get on with the scrimmage. So uh, I appreciate that. But you can also see that he's trying to work on some different things that they may not have had a chance to work on last year or didn't really execute as well as he wanted last year as well. So, divided up into the gold and purple teams, as y'all know, really quickly for Thursday, the gold team was Malazzo at catcher, Morgan at first, Dugas at second, Thompson at short, Tommy Tanks at third, so a veteran infield right there, the freshman Zeb Rudell in left, Mick Paul, another freshman in center, Stevenson in right, Travinsky DH'd, and he also caught with Malazzo. So, you'll see that a lot of times at DH. Or there's a lot of catchers, so they split time. So for the gold team on Thursday, Malazzo and Travinsky split time behind the plate. The batting order for those keeping track at home for the gold team on Thursday. Malazzo, Morgan, Tanks, Joe Bear, Dugas, JT, Stevenson, Travinsky, Rudell, and Paul. And so the gold team had the honor of facing Paul Skeens, who started the game and threw four innings. 
He was followed up by Bryce Collins, the veteran reliever for the purple team. Now, the purple team, the way it shook out on Thursday, you had the two freshmen, actually three freshmen, Neal and Jones caught, and also Jones and Ethan Fry split time at first. You had the VCU transfer, Nipholt at second, Gavin Gidry at short, Jack Merrifield at third, Pearson and left, Cruz in center, Paxton Kling, the freshman in right field, and K Beloso DH. So Beloso just DHs, he doesn't run, so if he walks, somebody uh, runs for him. It, it always seemed like it ended up being Nipholt a lot of times. The batting order for the purple team, Kling, Pearson, Cruz, Gidry, Jones, Nipholt, Beloso, Fry, and Merrifield. Skeens did not hit for the purple team, and it didn't seem like uh, Brady Neal, the catcher, freshman, he did not hit either for the purple team. So the purple team faced Grant Taylor, the sophomore returning pitcher, and they also faced freshman Aiden Moffitt. So the way I'm going to break this down, I'm going to go over the pitchers first, then how the hitters did, then a couple little things for Thursday, and then move on to Friday, just if y'all want to know kind of how this thing is going to shake out. So this Thursday on Scrimmage was all about the pitchers. On Twitter, I called it the Velo Wars because that's what you saw the first couple innings from Paul Skeens and Grant Taylor. They were both throwing absolute gas. So let's start off with the purple pitchers, Paul Skeens. He's a dude, straight up dude. He was truly impressive on Friday night. He has ace stuff. He has Friday night SEC starter stuff written all over him. He has to be one of the top five pitchers in the country. Take this for what it's worth, but Matthew Musso and I were walking out of the scrimmage together, talking about what we saw. A scout was behind us, and he said you know, that he, he believes he's the second best pitcher in the country this year. So a long way to go, but you know, a little food for thought there. So he's 6'8", as we all know. He's very fluid. He hides the ball pretty well. Actually, the ball looks like it shoots out from behind his ear uh, from his delivery. Um, in the first inning, he was 97 to 99. And uh, yeah, it was just, it was absolute gas the whole time. He has a very fluid motion. It's not uh, very mechanical at all. Very uh, nice mechanics for his size. His velocity did drop a little bit in the subsequent innings. You know, I said it dropped. He went down to 95 to 96. But that's also to be expected while these guys are getting their arms in shapes. And you really saw that with all the pitchers. For the most part, the velocity tended to drop the longer they were out there. Skeens showed uh, both a two and four seam fastball. He utilized both pitches on both sides of the plate, meaning he wasn't scared to throw in to a left-handed batter and he wasn't scared to throw in to a right-handed batter, which was good to see. His breaking ball is a slider, so it's a very hard slider. It's a wipeout pitch, uh, 84 to 86. He's still gaining consistency with that. looks like sometimes he gets under it and it stays up in the zone, but when he gets on top of it, that thing is absolutely nasty. And uh, in the third inning, you really started to see him using his breaking ball more to get ahead of hitters. So this, I think that's kind of an overarching theme for the fall is that if you happen to go out to a scrimmage and you wonder maybe why certain pitchers look a little different or, or what are they doing, pitchers use the fall to work on different things. If you want to help develop a second or a third pitch, the fall is the best time to do it. If you want to work on a changeup, you and the pitching coach Wes Johnson are focused on changeups, well, then you're going to, you know, maybe you throw 50% changeups that day and the results be damned, you know, because you're not going to have time to do it during the season when you're trying to get re- results and you're trying to get W's. So Thursday and Friday, that's what I saw. I'll mention it again later, but it looked like in the, in the third and fourth inning for him, he was focusing more on a slider, using that earlier in the count to get ahead. And then he always had the fastball in his back pocket. He threw four innings. He had eight Ks. 
He punched out everybody in that lineup except Rudell, I believe. And it was just a dominant performance. And as a fan, you just had to sit there and say, wow, what, what a coup for Jay Johnson, those guys, to get him over from Air Force this year as a transfer. So a ton of scouts were in the stands. I would say 20 to 30, it seemed like. There were just a, a boatload of scouts sitting in the goal seats. And I thought Neil did a really good job as a freshman handling him behind the plate. And I think Neil, Brady Neal is still 17. I could be mistaken, but I know he's very young. He, I think he reclassified. So uh, for him to handle that kind of velocity – was very impressive. But Skeens, absolutely dominant stuff. You know, the, and it's just it's just really nice to see as a fan. You're just sitting there and watching guys just pop 97, 98, and you're just just kind of in awe right there. So big things to come from the Air Force transfer, and he looks to be uh, – I can't imagine him not sliding into a Friday or Saturday starting role. I would be shocked. The, the the starting pitcher for the goal team was Grant Taylor, and I thought Grant threw the ball really well. Obviously, we saw him a lot last year, and he had a very good summer in the Cape. You can definitely tell he's been working on his off-speed pitches as well with regards to different combinations. You saw him throwing a lot of back-to-back breaking balls. Um, didn't rely on his fastball so much, and you really saw him probably last year in his outings. He was 80% fastballs. So Grant Taylor's velocity has ticked up some. He was consistently, I would say he's probably about 93, 95 last year. He seemed like just sitting at 94 like every pitch, but he hit 97 in the first inning with several 96s, so that was very impressive to see. You know, he's a big, stocky kid, well-built kid, and uh, you could tell throughout the outing he was working on his breaking ball, so even if he fell behind in the count, his fastball was plenty good enough to get it by these LSU hitters. So even though they knew it was coming, he still had plenty of juice on that. He was a little inconsistent with his fastball command as the outing wore on. He kind of fell behind in some counts. But once again, he was working both sides of the plate. And uh, I really liked what I saw from Taylor. I think Taylor's going to push for a starting role. Whether that be a Sunday role, I don't know. But I definitely could see him starting in the midweek and then offering the ability to come in and you know, potentially set up in the weekend, depending on how many innings he throws during the midweek. But... uh, Bright future for Grant Taylor. So I was really impressed by him in this outing. So, and it was good to see Grant Taylor because they both went four. So it was good to see Taylor get stretched out and go four too. So you just wonder what the plan is for him moving forward. And I would have to think, this is purely me guessing, that they would like to probably tab him as a midweek starter. I mean, that's a hell of a, hell of a sophomore you have as your midweek if he's out there touching 97. That just speaks a lot to the potential um, ability and depth that LSU will have on the weekend. On the purple team, after Skeens threw his four, Bryce Collins came in. And Bryce Collins was, I thought he looked great. Once again, you know, put this on repeat. His velo had ticked up as well. Last year, he really was probably about 88, 89, 90, you know, maybe 91 every now and then. We know he's got that big bender, big hard breaking ball. He threw two innings, but in his first inning, he was sitting at 94, which I was very surprised with. And he looks great. Also flashed a curveball, which we know about, but he also showed a changeup too. And um, all in all, his two innings, he looked like a veteran. He's been there, done that. He pitched for Coach Johnson in Arizona. He's been to the College World Series. He's somebody that you can, I think, you just put him in the back, the, the in the bullpen, probably not in the back end, kind of that middle to long relief role. You saw him play a factor in, and he can give you three and four, and you just know what you're going to expect from Collins. He's going to attack the zone. Fastballs for strikes, and that curveball is a wipeout pitch. So I ha- he had two really good, solid innings. And that's kind of what you expect for somebody um, his age and his experience level. Now, on the goal team, freshman Aiden Moffitt backed up Grant Taylor. 
And Moffitt's a big kid, man. He's 6'4", probably about 230. Um, his velocity, I think, was a little down from what maybe some people expected. And I only think it was down because he had he, he had a lot of trouble, unfortunately. And as a pitcher, all, all pitchers have been there where you just can't find the zone. And you're not throwing balls to the backstop. You're not bull during them fastballs. You're just missing just a little bit, and that's almost worse because it's like you're right there around the zone, and you just can't get it in the zone. So he just had trouble throwing his fastballs for strikes. You know, and it's one of those, it's kind of a vicious cycle. You're missing with your fastball. You start to lose confidence in it. You almost let up a little bit to try to get it over, and then that makes things worse. He just couldn't get in any type of a rhythm. The pitching coach, uh, Wes Johnson, went out and talked to him. They had to roll over his first inning. So when I say roll over, usually there's a max limit in the fall in terms of pitch count. So uh, with Skip, it was 25. So anytime your pitch count got above 25 to 30, they're just going to stop it right there, no matter what the situation is. They may let you finish out the batter, and then they're just going to switch sides and uh, get you off the field. You just want to prevent any type of injuries. And uh, with a kid his age and the fact that he's a freshman, you just don't want to damage his confidence. You know, you just don't want to leave him out there for 50 pitches and then him come off the field and, and feeling like he completely, you know, he just didn't do his job. And, and I think one thing you got to watch out for these freshmen because they're battling too, right? This is the first time they're ever facing these college hitters. And one thing you saw, and you saw this again on Friday, the college hitters, if they're struggling, they're going to look for one, if a pitcher's struggling, they're going to look for one pitch in one spot and they're going to sit on that. And if you don't throw it there, they're just going to let you continue to struggle. And that's unfortunately what Aiden Moffitt went through in his two innings on Thursday night. So I think the, the potential is there. He was 91 to 95. I think once he gets confidence and he's able to let it go and he's not really aiming it, I'm sure his velocity will tick up to 97, which is where a lot of the scouting reports had him. But, um, you know, it was just a tough outing for that young man. I'm sure he'll bounce back. In terms of the hitters, what stood out for the hitters? Wasn't a lot to talk about since the hitters, I mean, excuse me, the pitchers really dominated on Thursday night. You know, one person that did stand out was freshman outfielder Zeb Rudell. He actually hit a bomb off of Paul Skeens, and it was a great at bat. He battled Skeens to 3-2, and then he turns on 97 on the inner third and drives it into the right field bleachers. So that was really impressive. He got a big round of applause from the fans there. Also on the purple team, you had freshman outfielder Paxton Kling. He had a double, and he looks ready to battle for a spot, and he can run the bases. You know, he's got good wheels since he plays the outfield. He's a big kid as well. Beloso had some nice couple of at-bats. You know, he's got a veteran presence in the box. He knows what he's looking for. He had a couple of walks. And then Jack Merrifield, who's uh, who's playing third base for one team, and then you see Tommy Tanks playing third base for the other team. He contributed on the night and looked good at the plate and in the field as well. So I'm going to touch on defense at the end of the podcast, kind of the overall theme for Thursday and Friday. But one thing of note is that Gavin Gidry's playing short on the other team, so opposite Jonathan Thompson. But I did see in the sixth inning on Thursday night that Gavin Gidry did move to second base for an inning and Nipholt switched to short. And that's something I mentioned on the first fall ball edition of the pod is that I wonder if they're going to start cross-training some of these guys just in case an injury happens or who knows what happens, right? Just to make sure you have multiple middle infielders that are comfortable with short or second and or third. And you saw that a little bit on Thursday night. So getting into Friday night. So same fundamentals as Thursday, sacrifice bunt or the hit and run. The, the lineups and the teams were switched up just a little bit. So on the goal team, you saw 
Travinsky, Jones, and Fry, those are two freshmen. They split time at catcher and first base. Nipholt was at second. He was paired with Thompson at short. Tanks was at third. And then you saw kind of the same outfield as the previous night with Rudell in left. Stevenson moved to center and Mick Paul moved to right field and Beloso was the DH for the goal team on Friday. And that batting order looked like JT, Joe Bear, Travinsky, Tommy White, Stevenson, Jones, Beloso, Nipholt, Rudell, Fry, and Paul. And they faced, so the goal team on Friday faced freshman Chase Shores. And then they faced another freshman, left-handed pitcher Griffin Herring, who's out of the Dallas area. On the purple team, you had Neal and Malazzo splitting time at catcher. Morgan at first, Dugas at second, Gidry at short, Merrifield at third, Pearson at left, Cruz in center, Kling in right. So the same outfield for the purple team. And Skeens, so you saw Skeens. He pitched Thursday night, didn't hit. So Skeens was a DH for the purple team. The batting order went Skeens, Gidry, Pearson, Cruz, Morgan, Kling, Dugas, Neil, Malazzo, and Merrifield. And so they faced the goal team pitchers of Riley Cooper and Samuel Dutton. So two returners. I wouldn't read too much into the lineups. If y'all notice, I said Skeens hitting. So I think this is what happens a lot of times. Since he didn't bat on Thursday, Jay's going to get Skeens as many ABs as possible. You see this a lot of time in big leagues, like in spring training or some of those spring training games where uh, guys like if a guy's on injured reserve or he's coming back from injury, he'll just hit first every inning regardless just so he can get his at-bats. And I think that's exactly what Skeens is doing on Friday night. He's getting as many at-bats as possible. He came up and did the hit and run portion a couple times, I think, just to get him some looks. So uh, just to try to make up for not batting on Thursday. And I guess that's going to be the move moving forward. If it skeins, once he starts, he may not hit, which is interesting because he's got a ton of pop, but I uh, just may not want to tax him on the bases. Just let him focus on pitching. So once again, this scrimmage went six innings. And this time, uh, instead of the pitchers going four and two, the pitchers went three and three. So from a pitching perspective, let's start off with the goal team. Look, Riley Cooper was Riley Cooper. It's just like he's like, oh, I have to pitch today. Let me just go clock in, and then I'll clock out three innings later, see y'all back in the dugout. He was just Cooper. You know, he struggled probably the first three weeks of the season. Maybe he's trying to do too much. Maybe he's just trying to get comfortable with his stuff. It wasn't all the way there. But after the first three weeks, Cooper was fabulous for LSU. Everybody knows he was a huge part of that bullpen last year throwing multiple times in a weekend, and it felt like um, kind of towards the end of SEC and into the uh, regionals, he was on the mound constantly. So I would expect the same from Cooper, and he was fabulous. Look, his fastball was 88 to 90, just like it was last year. He flashed that good slider at 79 to 81, but he did feature a curveball, which we did not see out of him last year. His curveball was around 74, and he did show a little bit of a change last year, not much of a changeup, but he also showed a change during the scrimmage, and now it came in at about 79. So the biggest thing with Cooper, he just mixed pitches really well through inside and outside, and he just got outs. He went after guys, didn't fall behind in the counts. I don't think he walked anybody. Gave up a hit to Skeens on a hit and run, and then maybe a fielder's choice, and that was it for his three innings. I thought he was fabulous. So um, just another day's work for Riley Cooper. So really impressed by him. And even if he didn't do good, I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry about him moving forward. 
Now, on the other side, I do think his performance was a little overshadowed by the freshman on the purple side. So you saw Chase Shores, and he is 6'8", so almost like a Paul Skeens clone. Chase Shores is somebody LSU fans should be excited about. Now, he's a freshman. He's probably going to have some growing pains, but, man, his stuff is absolutely electric, and people should be raving about him. And I think you saw a ton of oohs and ahs in the crowd when he took the mound. So one thing that I noticed about him is he has a very easy motion, a very composed demeanor out there. He keeps the ball down for his size, keeps the ball down in the zone. He's not afraid of contact, meaning he doesn't try to go out there and strike everybody out. And he just seems to be in control of the situation out there. Doesn't seem to get rattled. Um, And while this is high praise for the freshman, I think, you know, he will have some growing pains, but a lot to like early on in the fall for Chase Shores. So his first inning, his fastball was 96 to 98. And he shows a wipeout slider anywhere from 83 to 88 and a little bit of a changeup at 89. So he actually gave up a hit to lead off his inning against Thompson, but then he went fly ball, double play. In the second inning, he went ground ball out, Cade Stevenson on 98, and then another strikeout. Now in the third, he did run into a little bit of control issues with his fastballs. He had back-to-back walks, but he still maintained his velocity, which is impressive, and he wasn't missing by much, and he still was attacking the zone. He wasn't trying to nibble you know, and get and get cheap outs or anything. He just went right after hitters. He closed out his third inning by striking out uh, freshman Ethan Fry. So freshman on freshman crime that right there with an 80-mile-per-hour slider. But in the third, he went walk, error on the shortstop, walk, sack fly, sack fly, K. So a little bit of a tough inning. The error didn't help him out, and two walks right there ended up coming around the score. But uh, very, very impressive outing by Chase Shores. So I can't wait to watch this kid pitch some more. So following up Cooper on the goal team was Sam Dutton and his velocity has seemed to tick up a little bit as well. So last year, you know, he was 88 to 91 in the, in the first inning of his outing on Friday, he was bumping 92 to 94 in the first. And remember he had an odd year last year. So he ended up being the Sunday SEC starter, if y'all recall, but Jay Johnson used him in some weird ways, right? And I'm not privy to everything that goes on, really none of it. But, you know, sometimes he would only go one inning or two innings at most. It always seemed like some of those Sunday games were a battle to where we had to win that game to win the series. And then also there was a time when Dutton only went one hitter. And I thought that was, I was at that game. I believe that was the Ole Miss game. So I would imagine mentally, you know, he, he just had a, a weird end of the year. And maybe that stuff was discussed behind closed doors. But um, I'm sure he's coming out wanting to prove some things for his sophomore year. Now, I will say this outing definitely wasn't his best. He did get hit around in the fifth and the sixth, so his second and third innings on the mound. But the defense did not help him out at all. And as I mentioned previously, I definitely think he was working on some off-speed pitches. We know he has a good hard curveball. comes in around 81. But uh, he showed a change this time, and it looked like it was either a change or a cutter. I kind of sit on the side in the, in the green seats behind the, the LSU first base dugout. I like that vantage point. But um, I think he was working on a lot of things. You saw, he, I bet he threw 30% fastballs in that outing. So he really focused on his off speed. And those were the pitches that got hit around. So he, if he would fall behind in the count, he still would come back with off speed. You know, and unfortunately, he gave up two home runs to Skeens, a home run to Morgan. And while it wasn't great, if that was truly the plan to work on off speed, you know, I'm not too worried. This is early in the fall, and I believe Dutton's going to be a uh, a swing guy this year, you know, midweek innings and move to the bullpen on the weekend. We know he can go long. 
So that's always a great arm to have. And um, it'll just be interesting to see how he progresses during the fall. But while that wasn't the best outing for him, I'm not super worried uh, from Dutton. And then lastly, on the purple side, another freshman who, Left-handed pitcher Griffin Herring, so he followed up Chase Shores, and he kind of ran into some of the same problems that Aiden Moffitt saw on Thursday. Um, not as wild. He got through all three of his innings. They did have to roll over the first inning for Griffin Herring. But look, he he came from the highest level of baseball in the state of Texas. He played at a very good program. They won a state championship. He was the key piece to that state championship. Being left-handed, uh, he was 90-92. His velocity dipped a little bit towards the end. He's got a hard slider at 83-84. And it was just some con- command issues with his fastball once again. Um, he was just missing. And to me, it looked like a rhythm thing. It just looked like he couldn't get in rhythm. You know, it was ball one, strike one. Ball two, strike two. You know, then three twos and a walk. Or strike one, strike two, ball one, ball two, ball three, walk. Or a hit or an error. So that just, to me, I don't think he was purposely trying to nibble. I just think his mechanics may have been a little out of whack. And for whatever reason, he just couldn't get comfortable on the mound. So, um, but his best inning though, a good sign though, excuse me, was his best inning, which was his last inning. So the sixth, the last thing in the scrimmage. So he went three up, three down, which is nice to see the freshman back, uh, bounce back. And I think he's going to have a bright future at LSU. We just have to, you know, be patient with these guys as they get comfortable with their surroundings. And look, everybody at LSU has been craving left-handed pitching. There were some lean years. Some years we didn't have any. And you have two freshmen in Herring and DJ Primo who did not get a chance to see pitch this weekend. I think they're going to have bright futures where they shake out in the rotation this year. I have no idea. So let's just uh, wait and see and let those guys develop. In terms of the Friday scrimmage, the hitters, they really shined in innings four through six. So once they got past Cooper and Chase Shores, you know, there were several home runs that were hit, as I mentioned, um, off Dutton. He had Skeens, Morgan, and Pearson go deep. Tanks hit an absolute rocket to right field. And this was nice because LSU had the shift. The purple team had the shift on against tanks. So they had three infielders on the left side, meaning only Trey Morgan was on the right side and tanks went the other way and it was absolute rocket to right field. So you see a lot of times guys just refuse to go the other way. They don't mind hitting into the shift Uh, They're I'm just going to pull the ball. I don't give a crap what the other team's doing. So that was nice to see him really go the other way and hit it hard. Um, Paxton Kling had another double. I thought the Neil kid, the catcher, the freshman, he handled the bat really well. Mirafield had another hit. Morgan had a laser to go along with his bomb. But um, the talk of the night, obviously, was Skeens and his power. And I was a little concerned because starting off the scrimmage, Skeens' first two at-bats were not good. You know, Cooper saws him off, and then he gets a check swing. And both of them were dribblers to first. So in two at-bats, he had two dribblers to first on like two or three pitches. And I was a little concerned, but then he comes up there and shows you the power and uh, what he did last year at Air Force, and those concerns kind of go by the wayside. But his first two at-bats were a little odd. All right, let's start to wrap up this pod here for the 60 Feet 6 Inches LSU pod. So overall, what were the what were the couple things I saw on Thursday and Friday? One, pitchers. The pitching staff that I saw Thursday and Friday – for LSU, they have really, really big arms and a lot of velocity. And it seems like for the returners, all their velocity has ticked up as well. And you can see the talent and the outstanding freshman arms that Jay Johnson and his staff brought into this class. But Skeens and Shores, they're almost two mirror images of each other in terms of size. They were really impressive. 
and you're just excited to see these guys throw more and how they develop throughout the fall. You also saw some expected struggles from freshmen, and as I mentioned earlier, they're getting used to college hitters, maybe a little bit of a smaller zone. And remember, these college hitters, for the most part, they're not going to chase some of these pitches that the high school or JUCO kids chased. So that's just going to be um, figuring out you know, the zone and, and, and figuring out their consistency and realizing the competition that they're going up against this year. But also saw, the lastly, you know, I saw some really good things from the returners, as I mentioned, like Grant Taylor, Riley Cooper, and Bryce Collins. So as an LSU fan, that's something, you know, guys that you're going to have to lean on in SEC play. It was really good to see them come out and do what they were supposed to do. And then lastly, to wrap up the pitchers, to me, I saw really a clear directive and mindset, and I can only assume it's coming from pitching coach Wes Johnson, is that these pitchers have an attack and aggressive mindset. And it was very evident that they are not afraid to throw in with the fastball or the breaking ball to either side of the plate, which I love to see. And it was something that was really aggravating and just drove me nuts last year when you just saw people like Blake Money and Fontenot and Vitmeyer and even uh, Gervais and those guys. It was just outside, outside, outside the whole time. And we never threw in. And you can see this year that it definitely seems to be like a change of philosophy. Um, in terms of the hitters, I think this lineup can and it will be very special, not just from a power perspective. The power is going to be there in spades, but I think they're going to be a more complete lineup. Maybe some of the things we lacked on the backside are the ability to generate runs when doubles and home runs aren't coming, manufacture runs, maybe more singles, take a walk, move guys over. I think they're going to have more of that ability this year. And you can tell that Jay Johnson, it seems like it's put an emphasis on being a more complete lineup because they're going to hit bombs. I mean, there's no doubt about that, but what do you do when you got to face Hunter Elliott from Ole Miss or the two arms from Arkansas, you know, and it's, and it's one, one in the seventh, you can't sit there and pray for a home run. You got to figure out a way to go get runs. So I think bringing on guys like Nipholt, they're tough outs. He's experienced. He's been in college for a couple years. He's very heady on the bases tanks. While he may strike out a lot, you know, I think he, he handles the bat well, and you're going to see him hit home runs. But you're also seeing some of these freshmen that are showing up, and they, they're not going to be pushed to the side like Kling, Rudell, Neil, Jones, and Fry handle the bat pretty well for their size. So it's going to be interesting to see how things shake out with those freshmen and how hard they push the veterans. And then lastly, the defense. Look, I hate to bring it up. We know that's a, uh, a source of pain for a lot of LSU fans from last year. And it's going to get a big eye roll. But while it was fine on Thursday, on Friday, I thought it was pretty bad. You know, uh, Tommy Tanks misplayed a pop-up in the infield. He misplayed a hard-hit ground ball. You saw uh, JT kick the ball at short. Gavin Guidry missed the ball at short. They were unable to roll a double play to help out their pitchers one inning. So um, some of those things reared their ugly head in six innings of work on Friday. So we know Jay Johnson's taking a more hands-on approach this year with the defense. And um, I think it's just going to be a work in progress. And I know everybody's going to be paying attention to it. So to me, it's just a wait-and-see approach right now just to see how they look come springtime. So just to wrap it up right here on the LSU Baseball 60 Feet 6 Inches pod, as a reminder, so I did not see Saturday and Sunday, but a good account to follow is LSU Baseball Data on Twitter. I believe that's the handle as well. So they put out a lot of things like, you know, kind of who did well from a hitting standpoint, pitching standpoint, and then they always put up the home run graphics and the exit speeds. But it seems like Ty Floyd threw really well on Saturday, which is really good. I think people are absolutely sleeping on Ty Floyd. 
I'm telling you, this kid, he's pushing for a weekend spot. He was a Saturday starter last year. And he, you know he's 94 to 96, and everybody was worried that he you know, didn't have a curveball. And while he didn't have it you know, halfway through the year, I think towards the end of the year, and especially around the regional time, you saw him be able to throw the curveball for strikes. Think about the SEC tournament, too, and what he did to Tennessee. And uh, I think Ty Floyd is, is really – I think he's going to click this year. So don't sleep on Ty Floyd while everybody's enamored with all these other pitchers and the transfers. Also, some reports from that Twitter account, DJ Primo, Primo, excuse me, DJ Primo and Micah Buckman, who are freshmen, also threw very well. On Sunday, Juco pitcher, left-handed pitcher Nate Ackenhausen threw three innings very well, and I saw him pitch the week before. And I think he's going to be a pin or a midweek guy, if I had to guess. From a hitter's perspective on Saturday and Sunday, Cruz and Morgan had bombs. Um, freshman Rudell hit another home run. He had a grand slam. And then on Sunday, Cruz come back with another bomb, so that makes it three for him for the fall. Rudell, now to be outdone, hits another home run, so he has three. Travinsky got a bomb. Joe Bear got on the board with his first home run of the fall. So you're seeing some of these guys, their power is starting to come around. The more comfortably get in the box and the more they see live pitching. And um, unfortunately, some of the pitchers I have yet to see throw, but I'm very interested. So hopefully I get a chance the next couple weekends to see these guys. Or uh, Blake Money, freshman Jaden Newt. I even ha- haven't even heard his name mentioned, so I hope everything's okay with him. And maybe I just when I'm out there, he's not. He, you know, he's just not there. He hadn't towed the rubber yet. Also hadn't heard anything about Christian Little. I'm not sure what's going on with that. I do see him at the field. Now he's there. And it may be something I don't I don't think he's injured. I haven't heard anything, but I haven't seen him pitch. And then I haven't seen Juco product Caleb Appleby. And I know a lot of people were um interested to see him throw uh, as possibly a replacement for Razelman and Gervais on the back end of that bullpen. So hopefully y'all got a lot out of that. That was just my recap for Thursday and Friday. Kind of week two of the LSU baseball podcast here at 60 feet, six inches. So that's going to do it. Thank you everybody for joining me. And as always, this podcast and this episode can be found on Apple, Google, Spotify, and other major audio platforms. As of now, I planning plan on having all the fall ball episodes in podcast form only. If for some reason I decide to do a YouTube video, I'll let y'all know via Twitter. I'll, I'll send out the link as well. And just to remind everybody, the Twitter account, and there'll be a link to this podcast on my Twitter account. I'll pin it this time. The Twitter account is at 60FT6INLSUPod. So at 60FT6INLSUPod. And as always, like, subscribe, comment, retweet. I appreciate all the new followers and the interaction. It's been very fun for me these last couple weeks. So until next time, guys, be safe and go Tigers.